before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about a limited opportunity. The doors are open to our online community. Where we're helping clinicians get confidence and success when dealing with the complexity of pain we see in practice. We have Brownie Thompson, Mike Stewart, and myself helping clinicians get the training they need to get comfortable managing pain well. You get live events, workshops, peer support, and direct feedback on your practice and your unique struggles. You can visit the community on your computer or on the go on your smartphone. The doors are closing on May 8th, so make sure you check out modernpainpro.com for all the details and to start transforming your practice today. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast, helping to improve the understanding and treatment of pain across the world through education, advice from experts in the field, personal stories from those living well with pain, and more. A modern approach to pain treatment, management, and education, while helping to bring the patient voice back to healthcare. This is the Modern Pain Podcast. Here's your host, Dr. Mark Cardula. What is going on, everybody? It is Mark Cardula, lead faculty and CEO at Modern Pain Care, where we make you the complete clinician. Today's episode of the Modern Pain Podcast uh, comes basically from a few issues that, and I don't, I don't even want to say issues, but discussions, because uh, Jared and I both are involved in DPT education. I am a clinical assistant professor at Midwestern University. Uh, Jared will talk about his affiliations and his teaching uh, gigs as well. But the challenges that come with that is, you know, I do things in the clinic that are a little different than how we are teaching uh, folks in DPT school. And I, th- and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it really gets DPT students freaked out. Like, you know, this is what I'm learning, yet this is what I'm seeing you guys do in clinic. So we're going to, we're going to unpack that a little bit. Uh, Jared's got a little bit he'll speak of to his uh, experience with DPT education. But before we do that, let's, let's see how, let's check in with Jared. How are you doing, Jared? Man, I'm doing well. Uh, as we talked about before we came on live, it is crunch time. Uh, you know, finally, you know, I'm, I'm living in shambles right now. Boxes to the ceiling, stuff a mess everywhere because uh, we're about to move this Friday. Finally, just a couple of days away. Uh, and, you know, I'm sorry, guys, if you hear some technical difficulties. Uh, I broke my laptop charger yesterday, so I, I, br- I broke out the dinosaur this morning to do some recording on. So uh, hopefully the quality is still there. You, you know, it, it's it's sounding good actually right now, brother. So, you know, the dinosaurs st- still doing it. So just like those PT dinosaurs, they still can get some things done once in a while. No, we won't go there because that, that's always another touch. <laughs> Maybe that's a different podcast. But anyway, uh, let folks know a little bit about your uh, DPT education kind of and maybe a little bit of what prompted uh, today's discussion from the DPT education side of things. Sure. So um, some of you might know I've been adjunct faculty at the University of North Texas Health and Science Center DPT program for about seven years now. So I do a lot of lab instructing uh, in the orthopedics curriculum, some guest lecturing. Uh, I pop into various other courses just for maybe a guest lecture. I do. I do teach kind of some of the pain curriculum as well. Uh, so every year, you know, you get done or every semester you get done with your course and, uh, you get your course feedback, you know, they go through and they rate all of the professors and and that sort of thing. I got my course feedback, uh, back this, this week and always really enjoy that. Cause I want to see, uh, of course you want to see good things, but you also want to see like, Hey, what can I do better? Um, and overall had some pretty good feedback, some pretty good comments, but uh, two people made a comment that, that stood out to me and, uh, you know, made me reflect a little bit. Um, and part of this is because I walk in two worlds. You know, I have this social media presence and, and kind of, uh, 
I guess, personality as somebody that is trying to be up to date and the most evidence based and maybe try to rock the boat a little bit to, to push the profession forward. So the comments were, man, you know, overall, Dr. Hall, is, he's pretty good, but it, it really rubs me the wrong way when he teaches one thing in class and then he goes on social media and talks about how that very thing that he taught in class is not accurate or not correct or not right. Uh, and I think that that is a really valid criticism. I think that um, in one hand, you know, I want to make sure that I'm I'm sensitive to that and I'm, I'm conscious about the way that I broach those subjects. And maybe I need to be a little bit, uh, you know, more gentle when I go about things on social media, uh, especially if we're directly talking about it or, or in close proximity and time frame to talking about it in class, because uh, a lot of these people, I guess, end up following me on social media as well. A lot of these students do. Um, but it, in the other hand, it also... Whoa! Getting a, little, getting a little wild with the intro here. I don't know what happened there, brother. But but here we go. <laughs> let's let's just keep going. You As you were. I don't know what happened there. The 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 tech gremlins popped in, and here you go. As you were. It's Sorry. Probably, it's probably my dinosaur pressing buttons. Could be, dude. Uh, Could be. So, but then in the other hand, I think it brings up a really good discussion point. And I I think that's what we wanted to talk about this morning. uh, The difference between um, what we teach, what we have to teach to some degree in PT school and what real clinical practice might look like and what the most up-to-date evidence-informed concepts of things that we, we do and teach maybe are right now. Yeah. And, and one of the, and I, I believe this is my buddy, uh, Seth Peterson, who, who mentioned this in a post that we were talking and I think it was a DPT students group. Cause there's always angst there. That's usually uh, folks frustrated with some of the stuff and, or it might have been the Cal U group. I don't remember, but, and, and, you know, I, I remember being a little frustrated with this as a student as well, because you'd go out on clinical rotations or you were, you know, well, I didn't really have social media back when I was going through. So, which was probably a good thing actually, but um, you know, I can, I could understand how, like, whatever things getting proposed is what we should and shouldn't be doing really can conflict with what you're currently being taught in DPT school. Now you can be, and I, I probably was this person a little bit, and you can be a jerk about it and be that difficult student in class and be the, you know, and there's nothing wrong with questioning. Cause I think it's important to, to have discussions. And I do think there's valid questioning if we have maybe some DPT educators who need to kind of update the, the what they're teaching in the curriculum. I'm not saying that, that, and I, you know, I hold myself to that, I think, but we also need to hold ourselves to what accrediting bodies demand us to teach CAPTI and these things that really qualify students. Cause what DPT programs are there to do is to get you passing a board exam to get you to be a safe practitioner. It ain't going to get you to be a good, I mean, they'll get you to be safe and solid. I'm not saying it won't make you be good, but it like to be good, you got to go well beyond what you learn in DPT school to be a great clinician to really move forward and, and, and do what you want. But you got to recognize that healthy scientific professions should be questioning what you're being taught currently in school. If they're, if they're not, I'd be more worried that what is our scientific process that's going on in our profession that we're still rolling with things that have been going on from 1970. Now there still are some things that, you know, hang around uh, maybe longer than they're, they're welcome and longer than science says they should stick around. And that probably reflects a little bit of the processes that we need to improve maybe from when we take a research study and, and, and start generating maybe even systematic review level data. And it starts questioning some of the things we're taught in PT school. Um, then I think it's our job as 
DP2 school uh, administrators and in our professional bodies and in those CAPTI that we need to start having processes that move that information forward more quickly and it being more reflective on board examinations. Because I know uh, board exams were inundated with the CPRs, uh, you know, clinical pr- prediction rules and stuff with with that. And it just seems like other things didn't really make it that quickly. So um, what's what's been your experience with kind of, uh, you know, that I guess, conflict that that you see out there in, in DPT education as far as, you know, and this thought of, hey, what you're learning is kind of a history lesson. And we're always are learning in it. And the, I can't remember the exact quote, but it's basically in medical school, they would say 50 percent of what you're going to learn in here is going to be proven untrue. The problem is we don't know what the 50 percent is. Um, and that should I mean, it should make you feel a little uncomfortable, but it should also make you feel like, hey, great, we got a good, healthy scientific profession that's not going to just sit on its laurels. It's going to question. It's going to move forward. It's going to, you know, cast doubt on some of the things. We're, we're there's a lot of interventions that have gone to the wayside because science asked us. So now, I'm, you know, of course, there's still fringe areas that might still try to hold on to certain interventions, of course. But uh, what's been your experience with that kind of conflict that you see, uh, Jared, as far as DPT education is concerned? Yeah, I mean, we I've talked about this with other other people that I teach with, and. I think there's two main themes as to why PT school to some degree can be, and and let's not just say PT school, let's say Cairo school, let's say nursing school, let's say med school. Um, All of these things fall under the same category. Uh, Why these schools are a little bit of a history lesson. Number one, you kind of already alluded to it, the board exam. The board exam is necessary to be a PT, to be, to be a practicing clinician, right? You've got to take it and you've got to pass it. And the thing about the board exam is it has question writers, item writers. Um, I considered being an item writer for a while until I found out the process and felt kind of frustrated with it. Um, so, you know, I guess I can't, I can't yell and scream too much because I didn't (laughs) undertake the process of becoming an item writer. But when you write a question for a board exam, that question has to be essentially pulled directly from a textbook that's in a PT curriculum. It has to be able to be cited from a textbook. So let's talk about textbooks, right? Textbooks uh, typically last for two to three years before a new edition comes out. When a textbook is written, uh, there is usually a backbone or a foundation that is uh, built into it because we're on edition five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever, right? Uh, and then, you know, each edition just changes a little bit of stuff. It just updates a little bit of information, but there's still that core information that probably goes back a couple decades, right? For the most part, maybe even longer for some of it. And those textbooks are written by people. And it takes people a little while to write those. And when they update those, those people use new research studies that have been published, right? So let's say you're starting with a researcher doing some research. Well, that research study maybe takes two years to, to actual, actually be completed and go through the publication process. Well, then it's probably going to take another year or two for somebody to read it, then it's going to take another year or two for somebody to write that textbook and actually get that textbook published. And then it's going to take another year or so for somebody to write a question off of that textbook. And then it's going to take two to three years for that question to actually go through the vetting process and be approved to be on the board exam. So what we're sitting here is like at the absolute fastest, right? uh, Information gets onto the board exam in six years. And probably more on 
on average of about 10 years. So the most up-to-date questions on the boards are roughly a decade or so old. Then meanwhile, in clinical practice, you have a bunch of people who are very nimble. Um, And you can make changes if you're at the forefront of uh, you know, keeping up with stuff, you can make changes in clinical practice pretty quickly because a lot of us are lucky enough to be connected to those very researcher researchers doing that research on social media or through, uh, you know, research groups and, and article review groups and stuff like that. So we're lucky enough to know about research before it even gets published or the very day that it gets published, you get stuff preprint, you get to read it, you get to talk with those researchers about it. They pop onto a podcast and they're giving you all that information. You get to reflect on it. And that's a pretty immediate, right? It, it's within a, a couple, couple few months of something coming out that a huge sect of the, the, the practicing clinicians know about that new evidence rather than, you know, the, the whole tenure process for the board. So that's one, right? We're living in the past a little bit just because it's a really cumbersome process to have an objective and well-written test that has good questions that aren't, you know, off the wall or they, they pass the bar of getting actually on the board exam. So that's what PT school has to teach to those CAPTI standards and the foundational underpinnings of the board exam. And then secondarily, what has to happen is students have to go out on clinical rotations, right? And clinical rotations Well, they have practicing clinicians that graduated in the past, and they're going to have practice patterns from the past because most people are not going to keep up with the most evidence-based new, you know, thought processes, et cetera. So the vast majority of clinical instructors are probably going to be dated a little bit. So we need students to know the lingo and the concepts that that clinical instructor is going to expect them to practice with. Because if that clinical instructor gets a student who says, well, that way that you practice is completely stupid. I learned something totally opposite and learned that what you do is way dated and not accurate, et cetera. Guess what? The clinical instructor is going to get pissed off at the school and not take any more students because they don't want that headache. Um, So we have to make sure students know uh, a little bit about a lot of things, uh, a little bit about a whole lot of different thought processes, philosophies, approaches, because they're going to get that on their clinical internships. And we need clinical instructors. They're, they're, it's hard to find enough decent clinical instructors. So we can't like, you know, run them off because we're teaching something diametrically opposed to the way that they believe in practice. So those are the two big themes as to why, PT school can be a little bit of a history lesson. Yeah, I, th- I think you bring up some good points as far as, you know, the the process from from research to textbook to test. That That is a arduous process that can take some time. And then also just the, the CI situation and, um, you know, dated patterns. I think we're all dated. You know, each day we're getting more dated. It's just a question of how dated will you allow yourself to become? And then are you going to constantly have an updating process where you're actively involved in, you know, gathering research and all that stuff. So I don't, that, that issue doesn't, and as you pointed out, it's not unique to PT education, physicians, uh, you know, OTs, uh, everybody, 
Kairos, like you mentioned, all it's, it's it, the, the question is you should be challenging your profession. I'd be more worried if, again, like I said earlier, if it's something where you're still learning the same things from 1970 something when, and, and science isn't asking any questions of what you're doing. It's just, you know, like I said, sitting tight and thinking you got it all figured out, which is a good way to become obsolete in the, in the world of healthcare, in the world of trying to better understand human pain experiences and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah. And again, it, how you navigate that as a student can, and I, I probably Jared can, uh, uh, you know, speak his own, but I, I have not always navigated that, that uh, challenge well in my past, as far as, you know, been vocal and questioned and probably got under the skin of a few uh, teachers. And, um, but again, you can make those history lessons of it, take it for what it is. It's a history lesson. Yes. There are some pride DPT educators. I hear stories of teaching and, and really, you know, pounding the fist about how we need to do some things about, you know, feeling millimeters of wiggles and things like that. I think that's something that uh, we, you know, as educators, we got to hold ourselves to a higher standard um, and and not overly identify ourselves with, with processes. We owe it to our students to not allow that to happen to where we're overly identified on any theory or thought process or concept, you know, definitely can have, you know, declare our biases, which I try to do every time I say, this is the way I do it. It's not the only way to do it. There's other thought processes out there. You guys need to learn how to think for yourself, all that good stuff. But as a student, you don't need to be a jerk about it, which I think, again, I've been a jerk about it to, to in various scenarios. And then as this, whether you're a student in a, you know, lecture or your student in a clinic, you know, you, you respect that even if you feel like man dated and still doing, you know, the, the stuff that I pretty confident the science is questioning, maybe you step back from those experiences and see, well, what is it about, you know, this CI and and what they're doing that might be gaining outcomes outside of maybe this dated theory. So you can still learn a lot and there's still a lot you can get out of, uh, you know, uh, clinical education, if you just come in with an open mind that, hey, maybe this isn't the most up-to-date theories, but man, I'm still going to get to interact with other humans in pain. I can still practice a lot of different things that can allow me to move forward and grow as a clinician, despite the fact that the, the CI that's training you may not be as, but is uh, up-to-date. So, because I agree, I mean, I've, I'm not involved in it, but I see it uh, closely as far as, you know, securing DPT education sites to, to, you know, do clinical sites. And, you know, the folks that work in those ACCE roles are working their butts off to, and doing, all, you know, stressful, you know, clinicals getting canceled, especially with COVID. It's been horrible. I wouldn't want to be, be in those positions if you paid me whatever, because it's been a stressful thing. So I think we need to give thanks to a lot of those ACCs who are, who are working that. I think it's a thankless job because we just assume we, we pay our tuition that this stuff just happens, that we have these clinicals. It's a lot of work that goes into that in secure insight. So it's our job as, you know, I would hope that as students that we, we maintain relationships. Now, of course, there's always going to be occasional red flag situations that need to be handled, but I think we need to go into to respect and, and be thankful that we have clinical sites that still allow us to come in and, um, you know, practice our craft, hone our craft as a student. It's just a, something I think it's way taken for granted. But anyway, uh, let's, I think we've touched upon things as much as I feel like, you know, we need to go in depth. We had a little tech glitch there, but I think we got that all figured out. But any other uh, parting thoughts you have for folks before we wrap up this episode, sir? Yeah. You know, I, I, as you were speaking, I had, I had one more thought that crossed my mind and I just wanted to make it a point to, to say, um, this was really, really valuable. And, and this is an example of why it's so important to give 
critical but respectful feedback. And this person was respectful. They just said, hey, this rubs me the wrong way when this happens. There's nothing wrong with that. And that caused me to stop and think, well, dang, okay, we need to talk about this. Um, all the comments that I got about how great I was, I just you know patted myself on the back and smiled and moved on about my day, but I didn't reflect, right? So I think we need to normalize you know, make it okay to give that critical feedback because now we've had a podcast episode about this. It's been brought to the front of my attention. I'm going to be more purposeful and conscious about the way that I navigate things on social media. Uh, Hopefully this podcast episode um, gets out to a lot of uh, students and and new grads and, you know, helps them understand that whole process. And it, it, it makes people feel better about it. It opens up conversations, right? So we, we've got to normalize giving uh, critical but respectful feedback because nobody grows from attaboys and pats on the back. We grow from recognize, recognizing what we could do better. Uh, you know, and that, that is a form of, uh, of feedback. It's a form of growth. It's a form of mentorship really is, is having that critical feedback. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it is one of those things that I think not uh, enough. Do we get that critical feedback? Um, and for, for some of you guys who are navigating some of the challenges as far as you coming out of school and, and, and maybe you've gone through the history lesson as PT school and you're trying to figure out how you can keep things up to date. If you ever have any interest in having any discussions with Jared or I on if mentoring and coaching is right for you in your practice, don't hesitate. Reach out to us, uh, modernpaincare.com slash supercharged, and we're happy to have uh, discussions to see if that works for you. Been having some great discussions with clinicians, and it's been something that's really stimulated um, a lot of our podcasts, really, because we're trying to figure out what are the problems that folks are having that we can help them out with. And, and this is a big one. It's trying to resolve what you were taught versus what you see currently in the clinic. So hopefully this episode was helpful for you. Let it, let's have some respectful dialogues in regards to DPT education and in what we're being taught and how we can move it forward. Cause it ain't going to be helped out with the attaboys, but it also ain't going to be helped out by this is crap and garbage that I'm being taught too. Cause that equally creates, you know, cognitive dissonance from both directions. So um, reach out to us if you have any questions or any other ideas of uh, podcast topics that you'd like to have us talk about. And we will definitely um, put those in a hopper. But uh, until next time, we will talk to you guys next week. This has been another episode of the Modern Pain Podcast with Dr. Mark Karchula. Join us next time as we continue our journey to help change the story around pain. For more information on the show, visit modernpaincare.com. Also, visit the Pain Masterminds Network on Facebook for free education and resources. This podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. Please consult a licensed professional for your specific medical needs. Changing the story around pain. This is the Modern Pain Podcast.